0: صلى على محمد و محمد أعوذ من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنحترية لولا أن الله والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين خاتم النبيين Sayyidin al-Mumajad Bashirin al-Mustafa amjad Mahmood al-Ahmad Abil Qasim Muhammad Allah SWT Wa'ala Ahli Baytihi Tayyabin al-Tahirin al-Masoomeen Wa La'anatullahi ala Zalimeen min al-Awlilin wal-Akhirin Amma Ba'ad Fakaqala Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala Fi Kitabihi Al-Majeed wa Furqanihi Al-Hameed Wa Qawluhu Al-Haqq بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فلا يتدبرون القران ولو كان من عند غير الله لوجدوا فيه اختلافا كثيرا آمنا بالله صلى الله عليه العَظيمَ صل على محمد وآل محمد Awaited Savior of Humanity, Imam Al Mahdi, my respected teachers, brothers, and sisters, Assalamu alaykum Jamia'an wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to this uh, special series in which we are looking at the maqasir as-sur, the goals and the themes of the chapters of the Holy of Quran. Inshallah, we're going to be starting this series and as you know there are 114 chapters of the Qur'an and so this series of lessons will take us somewhere in the region of 114 lessons Now why do I say in the region of 114? Number one, we had to have an introductory lesson so that takes us up to 115 Number two, we already took three of the themes in our preparation for Shahr Ramadan. Many of you may know that in the preparation of Shah Ramadan just gone, Al-Hadi Youth did a podcast whereby we recorded the themes of the chapters of Quran for the three surahs that we recite on the night of Qadr, particularly on the 23rd of Shahr Ramadan. Who can tell me what are those three surahs that we recite on the 23rd? Room, Dukhan, Rum, Dukhan an- and An-Kaboot. An- or maybe we should say an first, and then Room, and then Ad-Dukhan, right? In, in the order of its compilation. So we've already done those three. So 115 minus 3, 112. So God willing, insha'Allah, this will be a 112 part series. Now, we also want to break up the series and talk about other things as well. Yeah. For example, we might take five weeks on this series and revert to another series to freshen it up, keep it alive, keep it well. So, it'll be 112 weeks of this series, if God grants us tawfiq, but it might take even longer for us to complete. Okay, so that's not to put you off. I remember on Monday mornings, we do a tafsir for ladies only, um, which is at the moment Surat Right, And I think we're up to lesson 35 or something like that. And someone asked me at the very, very beginning, how many weeks is this going to be? And I said, one year. Well, actually, I turned all the verses over and I said, hmm, a year, about uh, two, two, two verses a week I will take. That's how long it will take me to go through. And we went from about 50 in the class down to about 25 in the class the following week. So it's not to put you off, right? The idea is to tell you, that the idea is for us to really work through the Qur'an systemically. Really to draw out and to lessons and to, to soak in the flavor and the depth of what the Qur'an has to offer us. But, inshallah, the idea is to look at the theme of every chapter of the Qur'an. And then, God willing, we also want to transcribe it and edit it and put it into a book, which can then be published for us to be able to review and learn further and spread this message. So, your attendance to this class is not just a commitment to that class, but if inshallah there is, you know, success, <coughs> that type of work can go out far wide. And as you know, the Qur'an says, yashfa shafa'atan hasanatan, Whoever partners in a good deed, you will have your share of it. So inshallah, whoever this reaches, your attendance in this class goes out further. The maqasid As-Sur is translated as the Goals of the chapters of the Qur'an. Maqasid, you can translate as the word goal or aspiration. The <coughs> word maqasid, its root is maqsad. So maqasid is the jam, it's the plural. So the goals of the surah. Sur is the plural, the jam of surah. Surah is the individual surah of the Qur'an. Maqasid as-surah is the themes, the aspirations, the goals of the chapters of the Qur'an. That means that with every chapter that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed, there is a particular overriding theme to it. There is a particular overriding goal that from the beginning of the chapter to the end of the chapter is trying to get across. Now, as you know, sometimes when we read the chapters, it goes off in multiple directions, doesn't it? And so to get a coherent understanding of that chapter can sometimes be a little difficult for us. But this is the study that we're going to be undertaking, insha'Allah, in this particular series. And the idea behind tonight's introductory lesson is to look at a number of initial questions. We want to ask, for example... What is the importance and the ingenuity of this style of tafsir? Is it new? Is it old? Have the maraji performed this kind of style of commentary of the Qur'an exponentially? Or is it something that's being introduced to the Muslim world only now in the generation in which you're living? We also want to ask, for example, how do we find out? What is the theme of a chapter? What are the different techniques so that when you read the chapter of Qur'an in your own time, be it short or long, you can then start to look at these different techniques and apply them for yourself so that when you read the theme, you extrapolate the themes for yourself. And such, you can imagine standing before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in your salah, And as you're reciting this chapter before him, you can then understand what you're reciting. What are you trying to get out of that chapter? What was the purpose of that chapter? What was it trying to deal with? So that you can also connect to it as you are reciting that very same chapter, for example, in your salah or at home when you're reciting the Quran for yourself. So inshallah, this will be our discussion tonight as an introduction, I know that the Poster said, this week we're looking at Surah Al-Fatiha, but that will come the following Monday, insha'Allah. So just imagine this now instead of a five-part series, initially this is a six-part series, with tonight just being the introduction of the discourse. So Maqasr Al-Sur, the goals of the chapter of the Qur'an. This looks at framework, the overriding theme, and the sub-themes within each chapter, puts them together, In order to be able to bring out an entire theme of the one chapter, imagine I said to you like this Imagine I said that you've got a box, a jigsaw puzzle. The jigsaw puzzle may be seven pieces, sometimes it's 50 pieces, sometimes it's a thousand pieces, isn't it? A surah sometimes has three verses, sometimes has seven verses, sometimes has a hundred verses. When you take those pieces out of the jigsaw, but out of the box, They're all shuffled. They're all muddled. If you just turn the box over, there's no picture, is there? You know, it's supposed to create a picture, but until you put the pieces in the right order, the picture is not beheld to you, is it? Even though it might be on the cover of the box, you know, it's supposed to look like a sunset. It's supposed to look like a a farm, a meadow, but all the pieces are all shaken up. Only once you put them together, do you behold the picture. Similarly, It might be that when we read the verses of Qur'an, it's very jumbled to us. This discussion tries to put the pieces of each of the chapter, the parts of the chapter together, to behold an entire picture of that chapter. What is that surah trying to say? This is the study that we're undertaking, insha'Allah. The verse I started with is from chapter number 4, Surah An-Nisa, verse number 82. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala speaks about the coherence of the Quran and how there cannot be any discrepancy in the Quran. The Quran itself is perfect. But when we read it, sometimes we don't see that theme that perfection within the chapter itself. We see it jumping from topic to topic to topic. Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Afala yatadabbarun al-Quran? Do they not then ponder upon the Quran? Now it's interesting because the word dubur, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses it elsewhere in the Quran in order to talk about his organizing organizing of the planet, organizing of the world, organizing of the universe. So tadabbur here in one sense is meaning to get to the back of something, to get to the other side of something, right? Here is the mic, the dubur is this side, right? So what I'm trying to do is see the other side of the verse to see what cannot be seen apparently to go beyond what can be seen. Another way of understanding this is to organize. So, الْقُرْآنِ Do you not ponder? Do you not then go further into the Quran and organize your thoughts in regards to what the Quran says? It continues. Had this Quran been from any other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, كثيرا, they would have found in it many a discrepancy. There would have been discrepancies in the Qur'an had it not been from Allah. Therefore, the Quran has no discrepancy. The surah itself that you read has no discrepancy. How then do we find the theme in those particular chapters or those particular verses? This will be our study, insha'Allah. Now, <coughs> The first thing I want to talk about is the importance of this type of tafsir Why is this type of study important? This type of study testifies to three things Number one, the coherence in the Quran Two, the unity of the particular surah And therefore three, the infallibility, or what some people refer to as the inimitability of the Qur'an. So when we say the coherence of the Qur'an, here I refer to the coherence of the Qur'an at its entire level. That all 114 surahs in their entirety culminate in a coherent Qur'an. When we say the unity, we mean the unity of the surah itself, that the surah itself has a proper composition, it has a framework within itself. There might be 50 sub-themes talked about in Surah Al-Baqarah, but when you add all of those 50 together and you put the picture, there is a unity within Surah Al-Baqarah that's talking about one overriding theme. This is the second reason why this study is very important. And the third, is this is a proof of the infallibility of the Qur'an. The Qur'an makes a challenge, as you know. Bring a chapter like it. If you think that this Qur'an is from someone other than Allah, other than a divine source, prove it. You bring a chapter like it. You try to write something that goes into so many directions, which has so much perfection within itself. So this is why this study is important because of these three different reasons. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an challenges us often to look at the coherence of the universe. If you turn in your Qur'an, for example, to chapter number 21, Surah al anbiya verse number 22 Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the coherence of the universe and tells you as well look into the coherence of the universe let's have a look at some of these verses and then appreciate the coherence within the Quran as well so for example chapter number 21 surah al-anbiya verse number 22 bismillahir rahmanir rahim law kana fihi illa Allah la If there had been in them gods other than Allah, there would certainly have been a universe in a state of disorder. So imagine now, when you have two people, five people, when you try to get them to work together, they're always going to have different ideas, aren't they? One wants to do things this way, one wants to do things a different way. And so when you try to pull yourself together, there's always a state of disorder at some level. Had there been gods, even the potential of gods to rival Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, one of the ways to prove that there can only be one God is you can see the coherence of this universe, the laws that exist within this universe. So at the universal level, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this. He says, had there been gods, you would have found disorder in this world. He also mentioned this elsewhere. Chapter 23, verse number 91. Surah Al-Mu'minun, verse number 91. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says the following. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. مَا اتَّخَذَ اللَّهُ مِنْ وَلَدٍ وَمَا كَانَ كان مِنْ إله لَذَهَبَ كل إله بما Never did Allah take to himself a son and never was there with him any other god. In that case, would each god have certainly taken away what he created and some of them would certainly have overpowered others. Had there been multiple gods, they would have challenged each other. One would have taken from the other, one would have fought the other. And so there would have been disarray within the universe. You would have seen intergalactic fighting between gods or something of that nature. Imagine I said this to you. Imagine I got two people up here. One stood here. One stood here. And I gave them both a sheet of paper. A4 paper. The same paper. And I say, make a paper airplane. This one makes a paper airplane. This one makes a paper airplane. Right? Will their designs be exactly the same? No. Will the way in which they fold the paper be exactly the same? No. And then when I tell them, throw the paper airplane, they will both throw with different strengths. One will say, I go high. One says, I'll go far. One says, I put this amount of strength into it. Their design, the way in which they act, would have been very, very different. So the verse says, had the first verse said, had there been more than one God, had there been multiple gods, you would have seen disorder within the universe. The second one says, had there been gods, they would have fought with each other. One would have taken away from the other one. This one would have said, my paper airplane is better than yours. I'm the winner. Or, you shouldn't make your paper airplane the way you make it. I, you should make it the way I make it. And you have to, I force you to do it this way. So in both cases, the universe you would see would have had multiple designs The universe would have had gods in combat with one another. There would have been rival laws. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says you can't find this within the universe. This is proof that there is one God and there is coherence within the universe. Famously, in chapter number 67 in Surah Al-Mulk, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then challenges you to reflect on this matter quite deeply. If you notice, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says... That he wants you to look and look again at this universe. Verses number three and four. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alladhi khalaqa sab'a samawatin tibaqa Ma tara fi khalq al-Rahmani min tafawut Farj'il basara Hal tara Hal Tara min futoor He is the one who created the seven heavens above one another. You see no mistake in the creation of the merciful Lord. Then look again. Can you see any disorder? basara then look again and again yanqalib basaru You will look again and you will become confused and tired at trying to find a mistake in the creation of Allah subhanahu um, wa ta'ala. how can we reconcile these verses against natural phenomena like what they know is an earthquake which Someone would say, so the universe has been created in a way for what purpose? To test the human being, to be a means for the human being to become a master of his surroundings, for all of it to be a means of reaching Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala spiritually. So the natural disasters from the shifting of the tectonic plates to the to the to the winds to the movement of everything solar flares all of this is within the system of creation for the purpose of the human being to navigate so they should reflect on them right so those things are part of the reflection but it's not outside of allah's system it is part of the system for the higher goal if you took away human free will if you took away the the, the natural um the natural uh, shifting of of the of the universe, in in these sense that you're asking about, like volcanoes or tornadoes or something like that, then the human being would not be tested by these things. It's part of it, part of the nature of the system of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. This is what he refers to in the Quran as his sunan, as his ways. And we did a study about two or three months ago on the sunan of Allah. Um, I don't know if it was recorded. But um, some of those who are in the crowd, they, we, we we can share the notes with you about how Allah Subhanahu wa Taala speaks about these practices that He sets up within the world. Mm-hmm. Ahsan, good question. Just like a this seven heavens or seven Where well, are The seven. Talks about seven heaven, or seven mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that the some of what. This is something outside of our it's discussion. Enough, is God. that all right? We can do that later. Is that okay? Ahsan, thank you. So number one, there is coherence within the universe. And Allah challenges you to look within the universe so that you realize that coherence as a proof of His unity, of His absolute oneness. And there cannot be anything other than that. Now the fact that the universe has absolute coherence, the Quran must also have it. Because this is a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just like the universe is a creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You can't have it that one part of the universe is coherent and fluid in its unity and another part not, because then there would be disorder. You cannot have a universe that is perfect and then the Qur'an which is imperfect. Because it's from Allah, number one, it must be perfect. Number two, it must reflect the universe. The Qur'an must reflect the waqih, the reality of the universe be it the universe that we know or the universes that we don't know, such as the ones in the years to come, in the hereafter, and those that we cannot even fathom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might have created, the Qur'an must reflect all of those universes perfectly. So we mentioned that the Qur'an says in chapter Al-Nisa' that had you find the Qur'an been from anyone else, you would have found discrepancy in it, number one. Elsewhere, in chapter number six, Surah Al-An'am, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also mentions in the Qur'an, وَتَمَّتْ رَبِّكَ Allah has perfected, he has completed with absolute justice his works. So there has to be this perfection within the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions. Uh, I'm just looking for that. وَتَمَّتْ If we find it, inshallah, someone can mention it. I don't know. I don't recall which verse number it is off the top of my head. 115. Thank you so much. 115. And the word of your Lord has been accomplished truly and justly. There is justice to his word. And there is none who can change his words. And he is the all-hearing, the (coughs) all-knowing So, this is the importance of this tafsir It will help us to really grasp the coherence within the Qur'an Holistically and within each chapter that is mentioned within the Qur'an This is the importance of such a study, number one Number two, is this study old or new? Is this a study that the Mufassireen have undertaken for generations or is this a brand new style of tafsir that we're on the cusp of? As mufassiri? What do you think? It's been there. But it's quite elaborated. A little bit elaborated? Old is the Quran itself? Quran from the Quran. Quran from the Quran is another style of tafsir. This is looking at the themes of the chapter, this is another style of tafsir. Interestingly enough, some Mufassirin do talk about it. However, in the compilations of the histories of tafsir, this is not mentioned once. So individual Mufassirin have reflected on the coherence of the Qur'an and even talked about it briefly, about the need to look within a chapter for its overriding theme and Coherence. However, in the compilations of tafasir, this is a new study entirely. Let me give you a couple of examples, and I brought with me several books for us to be able to study and look at. Okay? Um, firstly, I present as an example, we'll take all these studies, inshaAllah. At Tamheed fi by allama Muhammad Hadi Ma'rifa. Rahmatullahi ta'ala, there are ten volumes to this work. This is the tenth volume. And you can see that this is called at-tafsir, I don't know if you can see it, but those here at the, the back, but at-tafsir wal-mufassirun manahij at-tafsir. So this looks at the styles of tafsir, the mufassirin, those people who are the commentators, and the manahij, the different styles, the different ways, methodologies of tafsir, as an example. So he, this is one chapter, this is one volume just on that one study, yeah? As an example... Alama Ma'rifah talks about the different styles of tafsir. Let's read them just as an example so you understand. Tafsir of Qur'an bil-Qur'an, what you mentioned, right? Tafsir al Qur'an by Qur'an, which is the authoritative way of doing tafsir of the Qur'an. Why? Because you use Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's words to explain Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's words. Number one, tafsir al-Qur'an bil-sunnah. So doing tafsir of the Quran by the sunnah of the Prophet Sallallahu alaihi wa alih Or Ahlul Bayt Salaamullahi alayhi wa Tafsir al-Quran sahabi Tafsir al-Quran by the, the, the opinions of the sahaba now Of course as you know In the school of Ahlul Bayt This doesn't hold authority If it's in the opinions of the sahaba If they are quoting Ahlul Bayt Then it is authoritative in and of itself. It doesn't mean that it's not beneficial we can still learn, but it doesn't mean it's authoritative in and of itself Tafsir al-Qur'an call it tabii so the opinions of the Qur'an from the Tabi'i, the second generation of Muslims those who came after the Companions and as you know that can go on and go on. because Tabi'i of the Tabi'i, the generations after the Companions he continues in different styles of tafsir at tafsir fiqhi so the tafsir based on fiqhi matters right just looking at the tafsir through ahkam al fiqh at al jami'a so this is the entirety of the quran you know when you see 15 volumes of the quran 12 volumes of the quran from a to z from al fatiha to an nas this is a Tafsir al-Jami'a, Tafsir Maani al-Quran, Tafsir of the meanings of the Quran, Tafsir Lughwiya, Tafsir based on the language of the Quran, Majmu al-Bayan, Zamakhshari. These scholars did this style of Tafsir. Tafsir Mutashabihat, Mustashabihat of what? What's a shubha? Doubts where something isn't clear to you. Right, it means you might be able to understand it in a different way. Give me an example. When does Allah say something might be, it might be a a, a shubha. Anything? Of God's hands. Ahsad. Allah's hands, he refers to in the Quran, right? Yadullah. What's Yadullah? It means literally his hand. But what does it mean? Power of Allah. The quwa of Allah. The qudra of Allah. This is a shubha. So there are styles of tafsir which only look at the mutashabihat. Whenever there is something that which is ambiguous, the mufassir looks and compiles that style of tafsir. Another style. Tafasir mujizah, which is a concise summary of the Qur'an. Tafsir. Tafsir al irfani al-Sufi. What's that? Mystical tafsir. Tafsir fi ittijahin asri. Now he goes into the types of tafasir that are written in his era. And he is a contemporary. He died only a few years back. So he now goes into the different types of tafasir that come in his era, even until now. Alon al-ilmi. Tafsir alon al-adabi al ijtimai So you've got a scientific type of tafsir. You've got a type of tafsir that is based on adabi and ijma'i, on social matters and on disciplining yourself. And a tafsir mawdu'i, which is what we tend to study in the Monday night sessions where we take one topic, a theme, sunan of Allah. What are the sunan of Allah in the Quran and so on and so forth. Ayatullah Hadi Ma'rifa, may Allah bless him, does not mention maqasid al sur as a style of tafsir even up until a decade ago. Doesn't mention it. (laughs) Same issue. He goes through all the different styles of tafasir from the Shia school of thought specifically. So he says, for example, tafsir about ulum al Quran, tafsir al Quran bis sunnah, menhaj tafsir bil ra'i. Tafsir about the taifa So the type of tafsir that tries to prove your school of thought, your madhab of al-Bayt, against another school of thought. All of it are here. Tafasir adabiyya. Again, about your adab. And specifically looking at your... Doesn't mention that maqasir al-sur in there at all, as a style of tafsir. Usul al-tafsir ta- wa ta'wil. The principles of tafsir and ta'wil by Ayatullah Sayyid Kamal al-Haydari. Dama tawfiqahu doesn't mention this style of tafsir in there at all. Another example, this one is a really good book published by the World Federation. Message of the Quran, a thematic exegesis by Ayatollah Sheikh Nasir Makarim Shirazi, dama tawfiqahu. He says the following. Let's have a read of what he says. He says, when exegesis of the Quran is discussed, minds are immediately drawn to the conventional chronological forms of exegesis, right? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, tafsir of it. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen, tafsir of it. Ar-Rahma and so on and so forth. Number one, there are, he continues. Another form of exegesis, tafsir, which is commonly known is to look at the individual words of the Quran. The third one, there are also various types of exegesis of the Quran which exist, which are thematic tadabbur mawdhu'i where you take one topic of the Quran sunan of Allah nifaq in the Quran shafa'a in the Quran take one topic and you look at all the verses regarding fourth there is another type of exegesis which is called relational where you take one topic and another topic and you look at those two topics together so for example one topic might be society another topic might be adab and you take all the verses and you try to link those two topics together and see how the Qur'an speaks about that one topic. Maybe you take three topics, maybe you take four topics and you put them together to see how the Qur'an speaks about one topic. He says this. He says another one is called the rational exegesis of the Qur'an. Another one is called the world view of the Qur'an. Even Ayatullah Nasir Makarim Shirazi doesn't talk about Makassar al sur as a style of tafsir. That's how innovative it is. So here I presented four commentaries, not one of them, and these are leading scholars from the Shia school of thought, not one of them mentions maqasir Sur, trying to look at the goal of the chapter. Hence, this is a novel, innovative form of tafsir that our school of thought is on the cusp of, which means you are participating in something new insha'Allah or at least one that we are on the cusp of trying to explore as a school of thought you can imagine that only a little bit has been spoken about it. Let us have a look at some of these things and try to elucidate on some of these points. Now I bring with me Quran a a commentary or um, a a discussion by uh, uh, Professor Sayyid Muhammad Ali Ayazi a Shi'a scholar uh, from the Indian subcontinent who's written a really good book called Quran and the Temporary Exeg- Exegesis so he's looking at the way in which contemporary forms of tafsir are and the future of those forms of tafsir let's see, does he talk about Maqasr al-Sur as being something that the future holds what do you think? no yeah <coughs> page 182 Characteristics of contemporary commentary So how should contemporary Mufassireen be looking at the Quran? He says the following Number one, in his opinion They should be looking at the explanation of the period of revelation I'll read to you a little bit from it so you can appreciate what he says The most important matter, the most important matter he says Related to contemporary tafsir is narration of the conditions of the period of revelation and informing the new generations of them. Certainly the social environment and lifestyles have undergone a drastic change in the last 14 centuries and the gap keeps on widening with every passing day. Also, such events keep occurring, which makes perception of the conditions of the period of revelation even more difficult. As our society changes and grows it becomes even more difficult for us to fathom what was life like 1400 years ago in the arabian deserts right if you give a youth a phone which you used to do a dial-up with like this and say what is this i've seen videos of it actually they gave youth a phone which you know you have to go like this and go like that and they're like where's the button Where's, where's the screen we don't know what to do with it Imagine what it's like trying to reconstruct from 1400 years ago. Thus, the commentator studies the conditions of the time of revelation as well as the times of writing his commentary to visualize the usage of social and cultural conditions of the people of those times so that he can reveal the reason for the revelation of those verses to you in your time. Very important. What's he saying? he's suggesting that that style of commentary hasn't been done yet as a theme as a form of tafsir that hasn't been extrapolated yet as a dedicated service to the quran number one he continues number two present solutions for need or presenting solutions for needs another important task for the modern commentator (coughs) excuse me (coughs) is to provide a solution for the intellectual and practical needs of the people because life keeps changing with the times so instead of just talking about the words and the meaning of the words really understand the Qur'an as a means of solution for today we have an economic crisis, we have a political crisis we're, we're, we have a, a society now that's once again riddled with, um, with, with racism how does the Qur'an offer a solution to your society? He says, this isn't written about as a proper style of tafsir. Three, conclusions of religious thought and contemplation. Four, the need of freshness of the topics presented. Five, you need tafsir, which is a style of rad, replies to objections. So when you have people objecting to things today, whatever the style of objection is, you need to be able to respond through a tafsir that is... Responding to those particular types of objections. What type of objections do we have today to Islam? Specifically what's happening today as objections to Islam? It's antithetical to feminism, for example. Whether or not it is or isn't is not the point. It doesn't look after women's rights, as an example. Islam doesn't give you freedom of speech, for example. If you convert out of Islam immediately, you should be killed, some people say. Well, the Qur'an needs to have a thematic approach to responding to those challenges. Where is the tafsir on that? He's asking. And so on and so forth. Again, he doesn't say maqasir as-sur should be in the future of tafsir. He doesn't even mention its existence, let alone that it should be in the future. So historically, it's not there. And in the future, some of our own scholars don't even recognize it yet as being on the cusp of the future of a style of tafsir. Now, let us continue and think about now actually going into this topic of the style of tafsir that we find. Where should it be found? Who is championing this style of tafsir? How do we go about studying it in our sessions? We are going to be looking at a book called Maqasid al-Sur, Themes Goals of the Chapters of the Quran by the Grand Ayatollah Sayyid Muhammad Taqi al mudarasi Dama Tawfiqahu. Sadly, I don't have the copy of the book with me right now because I lent it to someone. No, I'm just, I'm looking this way, but I didn't lend it to Imran. Huh? Don't, don't, get, don't glare at him. So he knows I lent it to someone, and yeah, so I lent it to someone, which is the worst thing you could ever do—lend your books to someone. But it's also the best thing you can do because you want them to have that knowledge. But then when you need that book, you're desperate for it, it's gone, it's not there. Alhamdulillah, nowadays everything is on the internet. But we'll be studying this book, Maqasr al-Sur. Now where does it come from? Ayatullah Sayyid Muhammad Taqi al-Mudarasi has a uh, 12-volume tafsir which is called Min al Qur'an. Now at the beginning of every chapter, all 114 chapters, (coughs) he writes his Maqsad the goal of each chapter that is literally just been copied and pasted into a book which he has written a special introduction for called Maqasid al sur right so it's already available and as an example uh, to show you right at the beginning of uh, every chapter uh, he actually writes his um, Maqsad and in, in there it's just been extrapolated and put into one book. So it already exists. So we'll be taking from Min uh, Al-Qur'an, which has been put into one book called the Maqasir Al-Sur of the Qur'an. Now, what we can see is, is that Ayatullah Mudadasi is innovating positively, the mean bid'a su'a, in our understanding of Islam, the school of Ahlul al-Bayt as When we say bid'ah, there's two types of bid'ah: bid'ah su'a and bid'ah hasana. Bid'ah su'a is the evil type of innovation. Bid'ah hasana is a good type of innovation. What is the difference between the two? What is good? What is bad? Yes. What is good? What is bad? How do you define what is good and what is bad? <coughs> Excuse me. When someone innovates something and and says this is islam or part of islam then this is bid'ah su'ah when someone innovates something and says this is a culture for us to continue serving islam but know that it's a culture and it's not part of islam i'm not authorizing it as part of islam then it's bid'ah hasana principle, principle as an example you recite ziyarah at the end of Salah, right? When you finish your Salah, you stand up. Assalamu alayka, ya Rasulullah. Assalamu alayka, ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. And so on and so forth. Did any of the Imam do that? Did they do it? Are you sure? No, they didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Now you start doing it. You've innovated something, but you haven't said this is Islam. You haven't said I'm attaching this to Islam. You have to do it because it's Islamic. It's not Islamic. It's a good culture. You'll get thawab for it. But the moment you try to force others and say, this is Islam, then you're in problems. That's when you're doing a 'ah bid'ah su'a. Now, Sayyidina Marja al-Mudarasi is innovating here, and he's not the only one. There are other scholars who have looked at the importance of the coherence of a particular chapter, and talked about its importance. We'll be studying his book, But I present to you some other scholars that have either spoken about it or gone into depth on it so that you can see in our introduction how wide this new form of tafsir is getting. First, I present to you uh, the book Uloom al-Qur'an, the sciences of the Qur'an. Thank you so much, Very good. Sorry? It's a bit warm. Perfect. perfect. Thank you so much. By Sayyid Muhammad Baqir al-Hakim. Shaheed al-Hakim, Rahmatullah ta'ala alayh. As you know, he was uh, martyred um, at the shrine of Imam Ali where the enemies of Allah exploded a bomb whilst he was at the shrine of Imam Ali If you want to see, there is a video of him coming out, uh, actually, um, um, you know, one of the offices at at the first floor and he's waving to people and afterwards sadly a bomb goes off. So, Shahid al Hakim, Rahmatullah ta'ala, alayhi, have written this fantastic book on the Alum of the Quran. I will read to you just a little bit uh, to be able to appreciate what he says about the unity of the Quran and the unity that exists, the coherence that exists within the words of a particular surah. This is page 339. He says, Al wahdatu al bayaniya lil Quran. So he talks about the unity, the wahda, the unity of the bayan, right? The expression of the Quran. He says, Anothero ila al-Furan il-Kareem kawahdatin, lafdiyatin, wa kalamiyatin, mutakamilatin, bihaytulayumkin, and nefham faqaratuhu o ayatuhu illa minhilalin nathari, illa jami'e abaadi. وَجَوَانِ بِهَذِهِ الْوَحْدَةِ وَكَذَٰلِكَ He says that, the, uh, that looking into the Qur'an, it's like looking into one overriding word, one united word the Qur'an is. In its, in its entirety, in its perfection, whereby it is not possible بِحَيْثُ It is not possible to understand its passages, or ayatuhu, or its uh, ayat, illa min ila jami'i aba'adi, except without looking into all of its dimensions, wahda al and looking into all the angles of this one united word that is there within the Qur'an. So the Qur'an has a coherence in its entirety, ويعتمل هذا الفهم للقرآن الكريم على رؤية عملية وواقع وواقعية مصطبطة من القرآن وطبيعة الظروف التي أحاطت بنزوله. so he says that this relies or you can rely this is relied upon in the Quran by understanding the the vision of this the precise vision of it and by extrapolating the the realities of the Quran and the nature of the, 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 the circumstances in which it was revealed in. You will see the entirety of the Quran, the whole coherence of the Quran in this particular way. So he talks about it from the perspective of having coherence. Now, there is one book that goes through this topic in its entirety, brilliantly, in great depth, called Coherence in the Quran by Mustansir Mir. And anyone who is serious about this topic this book is an absolute must must read for anyone who wants to take this topic of coherence in the Qur'an seriously. Let's have a look at what he says. I'm going to read to you quite a little bit here in talking about this particular topic. So in this chapter, uh, he talks now about the surah (coughs) itself, the surah, the individual surah is having unity in it. And he says the following. Farahi one of the scholars he's speaking about, Sunni scholar. Farahi offers the following arguments to prove that all Qur'anic surahs possess a nidham, nidham. What's the word nizam mean? Order. On order. We say nizam sometimes, right? Nidham in the Arabic. Or sometimes we call it isadat al-nidham, that there is a principle of order in the Qur'an. Farahi offers the following arguments to prove that all Qur'anic surahs possess possess nazam, or what he calls thematic structural coherence in every surah. These are the evidences he proves. Number one, first, the division of the Qur'anic material into so many surahs indicates that each surah has a distinct theme. Otherwise, the whole of the Qur'an would have been made into one surah. The fact that the Qur'an wasn't one surah and 114 surahs in and of itself proves that each of the theme, each of the chapters of the Qur'an must have a theme to it. Number one, number two. Second, the unequal length of the surahs implies that it is considerations of nadam that determine the length of any surah. The fact that each surah is not the same length, sometimes it's three verses Sometimes it's a hundred verses. This proves that Allah wanted each surah to be relative, to be talking about something in particular. Otherwise, why not make every surah 50 verses? Allah didn't want this. Third, the word surah means something in particular. Who knows what the word surah means? Surah Yasin, Surah Dariyat. What does the word surah mean, anyone? It means a wall enclosing a city that's really important the word surah means a wall which encloses a city in a city what is there? there's so much difference in a city isn't there? sometimes there's hills sometimes there's valleys sometimes there's peaks sometimes there's troughs sometimes you've got this type of community sometimes you've got that type of community is any one city the same as another city? No. Is every city so magnificently unique and different? Yes. But is there a coherence within the city? Yes. You could not have it that we didn't have our A to Z roads, a map of our roads. The word surah (coughs) means wall around that city, which is beautifully reflective to the idea that each city has a coherence internally within it, a unity, Similarly so does every surah and it is walled off from one city to another so that you can maintain the unity within that one city from another. Third, the word surah means a wall enclosing a city. Within an enclosing wall there can only be one city. Within a surah likewise there can only be one set of integrally related themes. In the Quran even surahs that have similar themes but lack this integral connection, are not combined into one surah, a fact borne out, for example, by the last two surahs. Fourth, fourth evidence of nidam within a surah. Fourth, the Qur'an claiming to be perfect because it was from God, challenged the disbelievers to produce the like of at least one of its surahs, which suggests that by a surah, it's meant a thematically complete Structurally coherent discourse How can Allah challenge you To write a surah like his If it doesn't have a theme within it Where are you going to start from If the surah If the theme of Yasin is X And it challenges you فَأْتُوا بِسُورَةٍ مِثْلِهِ Bring a surah like Yasin How are you going to bring a surah like it If you don't know what the chapter is talking about So there must be a theme within the surah what is that theme? Finally, the larger surahs of the Qur'an contain passages that have an obvious, obvious nidham. And reflection on such passages will enable one to discover the nidham within the surah. So for example, what's the opening few verses of Surah Al-Baqarah talking about? It talks about iman. It talks about nifaq. After that, what does verse 30 come to speak about? Onwards. The story of Prophet? Prophet. Adam alayhi The first story is which story? Adam alayhi salam, right? Inni Ja'alun ardi Khalifa. I'm going to place a caliph on earth. What? Are you gonna call place a caliph who's gonna cause m- mischief and bloodshed? Allah says, Inni ta'lamun. I know what you know not. Who's the next story after uh, s- uh, Prophet Adam <laughs> Prophet <laughs> Musa a. So he says, look, finally, the larger surahs of the Qur'an contain passages that have within them a nizam. And so when you reflect on the little passages, the, the passages about Prophet Adam, the passages about Prophet Musa, you put them all together, that makes the wider nidham. That makes the wider nizam." This is what he says. And he goes on. I can't read all of it to you now, but it's a very lengthy baha. Now, he continues. He says the following. Nazam, coherence, the views of Allama Sayyid Muhammad Hussein Tabatabai, author of Al-Mizan, and Sayyid Qutub. Sayyid Qutub, as we know, is a famous Sunni scholar. I'll only read to you a little bit from Sayyid Tabatabai. We shall begin by reproducing the ideas of Tabataba'i and say, Futub He says the following Tabataba'i, what does he say? This, this part I'm reading now is not the quote yet. This is the author of the book. As the speech of God, Tabataba'i writes in Al Mizan Fit Tafsir al Quran, the Quran must possess unity. Wahda, the unity of discourse derives, according to him, from the unity of its meaning. And it is this unified meaning that the Qur'an chiefly aims to put across. That's really important. The Qur'an is trying to put across to you a unity of meaning. It wants you to know that there is a theme to the Qur'an, a theme to the Surah, he says. He then defines this unified meaning as the guiding the hidayah of mankind to the right path. Allah says in the Qur'an, Hudan, lin nas this is a guidance for mankind how can it guide you if you don't know what it's trying to tell you so if i ask you now what is the theme of surah ghafir how do you know what its hidayah is if you don't know what it's trying to put across to you say is saying i extrapolate from hudan lin nas that there must be coherence which is easy for you to extrapolate Otherwise it can't really be hudan bin nas. Next he points out that the division of the Qur'an into a large number of surahs signifies that each surah has a kind of unity of composition and a wholeness that is to be found neither in the separate parts of the surah nor in two surahs taken together. It can only be found in one surah in each surah, this type of unity. You don't find unity in two types of surahs, it's in one, each surah has its own type of unity. Now he quotes, this is the statement from Sayyid Tabata From this we conclude that the surahs have divergent aims. Maqsad, goals, aims, aspirations. Each surah has a divergent aim. That each surah is intended to convey a specific meaning, to serve a specific purpose. Gharav, he says On the achievement of which alone Will the surah achieve its fulfillment Only when you learn what the goal of the surah is Does the surah achieve its purpose Without you knowing what the purpose of the surah is The surah itself doesn't mean you got it You haven't got it yet The surah itself is telling you This is my theme This is my goal for you to read me with This uh, next part is quite important. Thus, before presenting his interpretation of a surah, Tabatabai usually provides a brief account of the surah's gharad, purpose. As a rule, he divides a surah into a number of subsections and tries to establish the links within the subsections, which we talked about in Baqarah, right? The first part was iman, nifaq, and kufr. Second part was, Adam alayhis salam. third part was Musa alayhis salam so you try to s- break them into subsections and see the links between them now this is really important you know what he says he says Sayyid Tabatabai believed that if he interpreted a verse of the Quran which was not in line with the maqsad of the surah then he had misinterpreted the verse itself this is really important so you find out the goal of the surah the goal of the surah is to talk about a to talk about b to talk about c right and if he tried to interpret a verse within that surah which was not in line with the Gharad or the maqsad the ghaya of that particular surah he said my interpretation of that verse is wrong it must be in line That's really important, so that when you reflect on the Qur'an, when you read the Qur'an, once you know what the ghaya is, the goal of the surah, and you start reading an individual verse, you say, ah, it matches. It's very important. Now, to show you where it would come, I bring with me a most contemporary, I published very, very recently, published... I don't know, say poem, but... 2018. Yeah, so very new tafsir by Alama Sheikh Muhammad Saeed Bahmanpour. We all know Sheikh Bahmanpour very, very well. He is our teacher, mm-hmm. but I'm going to constructively criticize his tafsir here. Yeah, we're doing a bahat, we're doing a class. So, Sheikh Bahmanpour, may Allah grant him a long life for the amazing work that he does. In his introduction, he talks about the methods of interpreting the Quran, and I went through them here with you. I talked about the different styles of tafsir, didn't I? Yeah, so he talks about that as well, which I won't go into now because our time is running short. He then goes into the name of the surah, yeah. and he talks about the different names of the surah of Yasin. Anyone know what are the different names of surah Yasin? As an example, Ad-da-fi'ah, that which repels. Pushes back harm, evil from you. It's also called Muammimah, the generalizer. It's the heart of the Qur'an. It's the most general chapter of the whole Qur'an. So he says these are the names of the Surah Yasin. He then goes into the merits. There are ahadith that say if you recite Surah Yasin, you get X thawab, you get Y, y thawab. And then he goes straight into the tafsir itself. There's no maqsad. There's no speaking about the goal of... So even in the most contemporary versions of Tafaseer, it's not there, but that's where it would be at the very beginning of the tafsir, to say this is what the theme of the chapter is speaking about in the first place. And then according to Sayyid Tabatabai, if you interpret a particular verse in opposition or outside of the actual Maqsad, then you've done a disservice to that Surah. All of it should be in line with the goal of the Surah itself. Now, Last question for tonight. How do we actually find the maqsad? Quite an in-depth class, huh? We have got into a lot. Allah. How do we actually find the maqsad itself? According to Grand Ayatollah Sayyid Muhammad Taqi Al-Mudarasi, there are three main ways. I will give to you a fourth. The first way you find the goal of a surah, the theme of a surah. Now, I just want to add something in. He calls this, in his view, the i'taal al-aam, the general framework of a surah. So how do you find the general framework, the goal of a surah, the theme, the overriding theme of a surah? He provides us three ways in his book, Maqasr al-surah. Number one. The name of the surah itself. The name of the surah should give you an indication as to what the surah is talking about and what the goal of the surah is. Time and when it will be revealed. I will come to that in number four, inshallah. Yes. Yes. So everyone, number one is what? The name of the surah. If you look at the name of the surah, it should give you an indication as to what's being spoken about in that surah. Now, another really good book published by uh, Sheikh Abbas Ja'far and resident Alima, Dr. Masuma Ja'far. Allah grant them both great reward for their work. They wrote this, I think whilst they were living in Qum, called Quranic Sciences, right? And in here, uh, it talks about the names of the Quran and this is really useful. Uh, Where are we? Names of the Quran, page 79. And here they talk about the names of the Qur'an and they give different titles to the names. And uh, they really help us in understanding the classification of the names of it. So for example, you have some chapters. um, So the first thing is that these chapters, the names of the surahs, where did they come from? Did you and I make up the names? No. Who gave them? The Prophet he himself named these chapters and those are mentioned within the Ahadith so if, for example the hadith will say whoever recites Surah X gets Y reward so we know the names of the chapters are divine now sometimes they were referred to in different ways such Sajda Ghafir <laughs> Mu'min right sometimes there's slightly different names of the chapters but that's because they were referred to in different ways but principally, the reason why we've been given the name Baqarah, Al-Imran, Al-Nisa, Al-Ma'idah, is because it comes from whom? Ahlul Bayt, alayhimussalam. They have told us that these are the names. Therefore, they are divine. Something for you to go into in your own time, inshaAllah. Now, in the name of the chapter, it will indicate to you the theme of the chapter. Let's take Baqara. What is Baqara? Oh. Cow. Which cow? The golden cow. Tell me, what's this about? Which golden cow? Who can tell me? Bunny Israel. What were Bunny Israel told to do? Slaughter the cow. What did they do? Did they straight away? They asked lots of questions. What type of questions did they ask? The size, the age, the color. Why? Because... They wanted to get out of slaughtering it. They didn't want to slaughter it. Now, why were they told to slaughter it? What's the reason? What did they make whilst Musa was away for 40 days? They made a calf. That calf had whistles and bells, and it became their idol. So when they were told, slaughter a cow, what they were told was, slaughter the idol that is within you. If you're able to slaughter this cow and submit to doing it, and not play games, you will actually learn to be able to slaughter what is within you, the idolatry that is within you. It's a test to help you along the way. Now, the Quran talks about this. If you turn in Surah Al-Baqarah, at the very beginning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about this. Verse 54: Bismillah ar-Rahman ar you should actually kill yourselves. Now according to most Mufassirin, this literally meant kill each other. Literally the tafsir says they used to, they, were, they were told to line up opposite each other and kill each other. I don't agree with this tafsir myself. I think it means kill what's within you. So because Al-Baqarah is named after this event. And this event is named after killing the idol that is within you. What do you see as a potential theme of Surah Al-Baqarah? Killing the idol that exists within you. And how to do it. Where to start. What are the challenges of idolatry within the soul? Does that make sense? Yeah. And now, as Sayyid Tabatabai said, now if you figure out the theme, whenever you read and you reflect on each verse, you will now read those verses in light of killing the idol that exists within you, whatever that idol is. Have to uh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, who's up for a steak? <laughs> yeah? So, so, why would um, Allah put um, the story of Adam in there? The first which, the which we'll come to in the second part now insha'Allah so number one what's the first way you're able to extrapolate the theme of a surah the name of the surah number one number two Sayyid al-Marja' al-Mudarasi says the second way you're able to extrapolate the theme of a surah is Fawatim sorry Fawatih wa Khawatim the beginning of the chapters, and the end of the chapters. Now, when Mawlana goes up on the pulpit, if he's like me, he rambles, and he just makes it up whatever comes to his head. But those who are genuine good reciters, they plan it, they have an introduction, they might go into different subtopics within the discourse, And then they have a conclusion that wraps it up nicely. There has to be a coherence to his speech (laughs) or her speech, correct? (coughs) If any of you have written an article, a paper for university, a paper for college, you had an introduction, you went in the middle into multiple directions, and then you had a conclusion that wrapped it all up again, didn't you? The same way you know as an author of an article, a paper, a research, a speech, there needs to be an introduction, a middle and an end. Each chapter is exactly the same. You will find the theme of the chapter at the beginning and the end. As per the excellent question just now, why go into different directions? Because even in the middle of your paper or in the middle of your speech, you're allowed access to go this way and that as long as somehow it ties back into the theme of your speech or the theme of your research the ring theory right it has to have that going around in its entirety turn in the quran please chapter number 17 surat al-isra let's open the first verse and the last verse to have a look at this how the faratih and the hawatim the beginning of each chapter and the end of each chapter must relate and when you read the beginning and the end, you will get the theme of the chapter. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Subhana alladhi asra bi'abdihi layla minal masjidil harami ilal masjidil aqsa alladhi barakna hawlahu linuriya min ayatina innahu huwa sami'ul basir. Glory be to Allah, or glory be to him who made his abd, his servant, take the night journey. Right? Now the important point here is the Abd. Elsewhere, as you know, some other religions sometimes take their prophets to be demigods, to be sons of God, and so on. Turn to the last verse of Surah al-Isra. Everyone there? ولم يكن له شريك في المنه. ولم يكن له ولي من الدل وكبره تكبير. تكبير. الله أكبر. And say all praise is due to Allah. He starts with سبحان اللذي. Glory be. This one he says Alhamdulillah. Praise be to Allah. In the first verse he talks about his Abd, even though this is the highest creation at the highest point of his existence. He reaches two bow shorter or closer. What happens? Don't take him as a son. Allah has never taken anyone as his son. So, the beginning of Surah Al Isra is talking about what? The Abd of Allah and his relationship to Allah. In the last verse of Surah Al Isra, what do we see? Again, Allah is denying anyone other than the Abd of Allah. My closest servants are nothing more than Abd, don't call them my son. There is a coherence between the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter. Now in Surah Al-Isra, it will go into multiple directions. But first and foremost, what appears to be the theme, the goal of Surah Al-Isra here to you? Oh, the first verse talks about the abd and glory to Allah. The last verse talks about not taking a son, only having an abd. Right, abudiyya in relation to Tawhid. So again, according to Sahih Daba'i, if you were to read the entirety of this chapter, you would always link it back to the, the theme, which is taken from the fawatih and the khawatim the beginning of each surah and the end of each surah. For your homework, read the beginning of chapter 21 and the end of chapter 21. Does that have to be the first verse only? It's the first few verses, the last few verses. And next week, I haven't finished yet, I'm just telling you for now, homework, go and read Surah Al-Anbiya and come back and tell me, in your view, what are the themes based on the beginning and the end of it? Okay. Number two, that was number two, the second way to get the ma'asad. Number three, what's the... Uh, third way to get the up. So, in regards to your question The blocks where he talks about Adam الصلاة, Will then link to the overriding theme of the chapter When it goes into Prophet Ibrahim in the Baqarah What else is in Surah Al Baqarah? Sadaqah, right? Hajj, so, psalm, psalm All of this will go back to, if these are subsections They will go back to the main theme of the surah Yeah? So opening and closing, number two Number three, the third way to get the maqsad of a surah is what? Ahadith speaking about the thawab of a surah. There are certain ahadith, many ahadith. Every chapter of the Quran has multiple ahadith which tell us the thawab of it. If you recite A, you get B. Now, if it's from if the hadith is proven correct and it is from the tongue of a maqsum, then it has to be perfect, right? You have. He doesn't speak of his own will. It is nothing other than inspiration to him. So, for example, sticking on Surat al isra chapter number seventeen, hadith of the sixty Imam Ja'far as Sadiq, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Who? Surat al-Isra fi kulli laylatil jum'a lam yamut hatta yudrikul imam al-Hujjah, ajjalallahu ta'ala for The one who recites Surat al-Isra every Thursday night does not die until he sees with his own eyes imam al-Hujjah. Really? Salawatullahu salamuhu alayhi. No. Salawat. Salawat. <laughs> I'm not saying don't recite Surat Yasin on a Thursday night. But I am saying May we all get tawfiq Try to recite Surah Al-Isra Every Thursday night If you find it long Break it into parts Read 30 verses at the beginning of the night 30 verses later 40. Put on a CD As you're driving to and from mosque Have it on Don't die until you've seen your Imam With your own eyes Okay So this is a hadith. Sayyid al mudarris Sayyid al Marja al mudarris says what? If you read these hadith on the thawab of the surah, the merit of the surah, this will give you an indication of the theme of the surah. So now what happens? When you read Surah Al Isra, who are you going to be trying to finding in that surah? Al Mahdi, Okay? Huh? every week every week you ask him that not me <coughs> inshallah ASAP <coughs> I don't want to be morbid but based on the hadith the quicker you die the quicker you see him yeah? the longer you live may Allah grant you a long life the longer you <laughs> three four which I think you pointed to is that there are times of revelation now, in each chapter, and this is especially uh, helped by uh, like Tafsir al-Tabari, Tabari noted uh, all of the the order of revelation. So which was the first surah, the 23rd surah, not to be in the Quran, to be revealed, the order. Yes, does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So as an example, uh, let's find here... Um, Al-Imran. <coughs> okay, so here, beginning with Surah Al-Imran. Madaniyah, so we know it's a Madani surah. Adad ayatuha. So it has 200 verses of the Quran. Tertibuha al-Nazuli the order of its revelation, it was 89th to be revealed. Where is it in the Qur'an? Number three, but it was actually revealed in 89. Ba'da surat al-anfal. So we also know what came before and what came after. So that tells us something important, doesn't it? It tells us that we're able to at least reconstruct the broader circumstances that were occurring in the period of Revelation so we know that in the period of Revelation at that time A, B and C were occurring in the Muslim community these were the overriding challenges, the overriding assumptions, the overriding problems what was happening with the Jews, what was happening with the Christians, what was happening with the, with the pagans, what was happening What was happening with the, the 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 Qur'an was revealed responding to those challenges responding to those duruf, those circumstances. And we also get to know what was happening before it and after it. Which means, this will help us to understand what was the goal of the chapter at the time. What was the Qur'an responding to at that time? Which also helps us to understand what its theme today might be. Now let's go a little bit deeper, lastly, into this. According to Ayatullah Mudarasi, the fact that it's been ordered, now you know it's compiled, Surah Al Imran is three and Nisa is four, that is still divine. Allah protects His Quran, even that is divine. Even if it was done by Caliph, it was overseen and approved by Ali ibn Abi Talib, which means it is perfect. Now, Ayatollah <laughs> Mudarasi says something very interesting, and we've been doing this on the Monday, night, mo- Monday morning tafsir in Surah Maryam. He says that each of these tafsir, even in their order, each chapter has a relationship to the one before it and the one after it now this is important chapter 18 as an example what's chapter 18? Kahaf the theme of Surat Kahaf he says in regards to the relationship of 18, 19, 20 he says Kahaf is talking about those people that because of their circumstances they have to withdraw from society to protect their iman. 19, Maryam is talking about how you find the balance between withdrawal and going out into society and giving yourself through family unit. Chapter 20, Taha, is about going out into society and giving yourself to society. And there's two types of giving. There's a type of giving where you lose yourself. This is divided into two as well, he says. The type of giving where you lose yourself negatively is where you lose your soul, you become engulfed by the society. Another type of giving yourself to society where you lose yourself is martyrdom, shahada, where you have to give yourself physically, you lose your body. And he says there's another type of giving yourself to society where it's positive. Where you're in the society, you're amongst people. But you're in control of yourself in that society. You have to walk amongst people. You have to be in the marketplace. You have to be in business. You have to go out to the community. You have to go out of the home. So he says chapter 18, the theme of the surah is withdrawal from society. When you withdraw, how you withdraw, what are the rules of withdrawing from a society to protect your Imam. 19 is the balance. Where do you get your strength from? Where do you make a strong society? From a sh- strong family unit. And then chapter 20, Taha, is about going into society. yamshi al aswaq We got to the Quran says. He walks in the marketplaces and he eats like normal people. He said about the Prophet. So not only is there a coherence within the chapter, there's a coherence between the order of the chapters as well, al Tarasi says. And once you learn the coherence within one chapter, you'll begin to see the overriding coherence in the number of chapters together. Two, three, four, eleven, twelve, thirteen, sixty-one, sixty-two, sixty-three. And eventually one to 114 and you'll be able to see the coherence of the entirety of the Quran from one to end so number one was what name number two was beginning and end number three was hadith number four time of revelation and the fifth point was what once you begin to look at them individually You can start looking them in twos, threes, and fours, the chapters one after another. to see how there is a relationship between the chapters that you're reading. Next week, insha'Allah, we start with the chapter Al-Fatiha. What are the themes of Surah Al-Fatiha? And insha'Allah, your homework is this. Read Surah Al-Anbiya from beginning to end. What do you find? A. With regards to the name. B, regards to the opening and closing C, in regards to ahadith, if you can find them 4, in regards to? Circumstances of Revelation Your homework for yourself Don't need to give us answers Inshallah in 21 weeks time we will get to Al-Abiya anyway But for your own homework, start to practice this Start to really think about what you're learning in a class and applying it. The most important thing is not learning, applying what you learn. And once you've finished Al-Anbiya, in your own time, pick another chapter. Pick another chapter, and inshallah, we will come back here week after week in order to see how much we can take from the Surah of the Quran. This was our discussion of the al Inshallah, it has been beneficial as an introduction. Walhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa sallallahumma ala sayyidina wa Muhammad wa alihi taala.